Hello and welcome to the Wittenberg Door, a weekly broadcast that examines what Lutheran Christians believe about God, the world, and us. I'm Pastor Brett Cornelius of Gethsemane Lutheran Church, and I invite you to join us for the next hour. And later, we will take questions at 740-383-9944, that's 740-383-WWGH, or on Facebook at the Wittenberg Door, where you can submit your questions live. Please join us now on the Wittenberg Door. Good Friday morning, everybody. This is Pastor Brett Cornelius of Gethsemane Lutheran Church. We're glad you joined us for uh, the next hour, the remainder of the next hour, and we hope that you'll uh, get something out of our broadcast. Um, the Wittenberg Door is a uh, uh, sponsored by the Central Ohio Missions Association, and we want to always thank them for their contribution. Um, and today we uh, are going to do what we normally do. Uh, we look at what's coming up in the church calendar and and how that speaks to us uh, in our lives today, uh, what it has to say to us and the hope it offers us. And so we uh, invite you, if you uh, are listening and you'd like to make a contribution to the program, the number is 740-383-9944. That's 383-WWGH. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, with uh, with me today again is uh, Lee Hall. Good morning, Lee. Good morning. How are you? And Scott is uh, our... What, what do you call yourself now as in this, in this capacity? Engineer. 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 All right. Thank you for, uh, for being with us today, Scott. And for helping us out here. Uh, oop, we got to straighten out these microphones here. Okay, so folks, um, this, sun, this upcoming Sunday is uh, Pentecost Sunday. Uh, now, Pentecost is a pretty important date in the church calendar. It commemorates the day when uh, the Holy Spirit was given to the apostles and to the church. Uh, some people call Pentecost the birthday of the church. Um, I would think the birthday of the church is when the gospel is first preached in the garden. And men start to believe, Adam and Eve believe the promises God makes. I think that's the birthday of the church. But, uh, but this, is the, this is the day when the gospel goes out to all of creation. One of the things that Jesus said when he rose from the dead was, uh, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus has this mission in mind for his apostles that they are to take the, the uh, promises of God that have been spoken to the Jews for 2,000 years and they're to take that out and they're to share it with the world that the and God has promised the Jews the good things that he's promised to deliver to them he means to deliver to the whole world and uh, and so Pentecost begins to show us that it begins to show us how God began to do that so it's a very important uh, consideration for the church here it shows us what God has done among us and uh, how God has has uh, shed his kindness to us. So, uh, Lee, uh, the first reading for this upcoming Sunday is from 
what uh, Genesis, Genesis uh, chapter eleven. Genesis chapter eleven. It's the account of the Tower of Babel. Okay, so uh, why don't you read that for us? All right, this is from the English Standard Standard Version, uh, Genesis eleven, beginning at verse one. Now the whole earth had one language, and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do, and nothing that they propose to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down there, and there confuse their language, so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the peop- of all the earth. And from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay. Well, you know, there's so many elements to this lesson. Uh, it really is a, a wonderful lesson. <coughs> It takes place shortly after, um, shortly after the account of the ark and God's salvation of Noah and his family. Uh, Shem, Ham, and Japheth go on to uh, they're fruitful. They multiply with their wives, and and uh, they begin to fill the earth. Uh, just in the previous chapter, uh, the Genesis ten. There is uh, an account of what is called the Table of Nations. That is um, the kind of the seventy nations that um, that come from these three sons of Noah, and uh, and we find some familiar names in there: Misraim, which is uh, Egypt, and Canaan, and uh, you know, when, as you go on and you continue to read the account, these word, these names uh, come back. And they're very important. Um, Japheth, uh, that that is the uh, uh, the peoples that settled Europe, and Ham are the people who settled the Middle East and uh, and Africa, and uh, and then of course Shem or the Semites, which uh, occupied so much of the Middle East. At any rate, you have all these table of nations, and they're still together. They're still one people. And isn't it funny? You know, um, and it's hard to say whether this is uh, kind of something that people glean from the Bible and kind of apply to modern day, but you, you do see in this text that the whole, the whole earth was one people and one, one, um, one language. And isn't it funny how language tends to unify a people? And it, it is understandable uh, sometimes in our day when, uh, when people say, well, America, America is one country, one language, one people. Uh, we speak English here. You know, uh, why should I have to press two for English or something, you know? <laughs> and, uh, uh, you know, or, or uh, you know, 
some of the some of the complaints you hear. Well, of course, every nation on earth has uh, more than one language, and it really is, is uh, it, you know, to learn Spanish or French or uh, German. Uh, you know, these are good things for people. Uh, really, we should be teaching these things earlier in school because um, uh, learning a, a foreign language at all is, uh, it really helps you. It's funny, when I started learning foreign languages, how much, I, how, how much better I understood my own language, right? It expands your mind. Uh, education is good. And it gives you the opportunity to to help people in in um, who, who may not speak your language, so but but there is something about uh, uh, the unification process that happens through language, and so it's it's a kind of an understandable instinct that people have. There should be one language, you know, one official language for for America, because what we see here in the text is when the languages get dispersed, the people get dispersed. Now, another interesting element about this, about this text is that they say to themselves, come, let us build a city and make a name for ourselves. And remember, this is in the age, this text is written in the age of the city-state. You know, wherever you went in the world, uh, just about, uh, the peoples were known by a city and, and would be for quite some time, Rome, Athens, you were, you were Athenians, you were Romans, you were, uh, you know, uh, the, the Assyrians, well, Assyrians were, were a little broader, Babylonians, you know, for instance, Ninevites. It's kind of how you were known. Um, and uh, uh, so it, this very important uh, concept of a city, because it was the unifying political idea, well, then you have, they say, let us make a, a city for ourselves, make a, make a name for ourselves. And this is what's really, you know... Uh, if you name it, you own it. If you name it, you have authority over it, right? Yeah. And we see this throughout the scriptures that when, when, uh, when uh, a, a child is born, of course, it's the parents that name that child because they give the name to it because they have authority over the child. For God, some time. In, in Genesis 1, in creation, we see God naming things. Yeah, and, 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 and God gives Adam authority over the earth. And in Genesis chapter 2, what happens? He names the animals. Yeah, Adam begins to name all the animals as, as an expression of his authority. Jesus gives different names to some of the apostles. Yeah, well, you, you see it throughout Scripture when, when God changes the name, for instance, of Abram to Abraham. And he changes the name of Sarai to Sarah, right? And uh, Jacob to Israel. I mean, it happens, it really kind of happens over and over again. And in, um, in this, uh, this idea of naming, uh, oh, by the way, yeah, when Nebuchadnezzar conquers Jerusalem in 605 B.C., the first time. He changes and, the names of the kings. Yeah, and he, he changes the names of uh, uh, Daniel, and, and uh, he names his Daniel's friends Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you know, and Daniel becomes Belteshazzar, right? Yeah, a uh, long-standing tradition. It's a long-standing tradition. So to say, let us make a name for ourselves is a kind of way of saying, from now on, the only authority over us is going to be us. 
Right. Sounds familiar. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and so then we see God come, and here's another interesting element of this text. God says, uh, "Let us go down." And uh, you know the, what these people let us go down. Who's yeah, the he? plurality of the Godhead. Yeah, yeah. We see, uh, and this happens quite a few times in Genesis, especially early in Genesis, where you see uh, the the deity referred to as us, right? And um, and it, it is a clue about the the Holy Trinity, um, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This intertrinitarian dialogue once more, and. Um, and so they, and so God says, uh, they have be, they have begun to build this tower, and now nothing they will do will be impossible for them. Now, that can be taken a couple different ways, I guess. Uh, God may be saying they can do anything now, uh, or, and I think this is really what the explanation is, is that God is saying. In their minds. Yeah, they'll go wild in their imagination. They become wild in their imagination, and nothing they do, they, they think will be impossible for them. They think they can do anything now. Yeah. Right? Like today. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And, you know, when, when culture gets to that point sometimes, we see it's a, a bit, and, and this is historically, I think, bear, borne out by the Greeks and the Romans and, the, and the, all the empires of the past, uh, even uh, the British Empire, which has begun its slow disintegration, happened, begin, that begins to happen at a time when um, the British would say, the God who made Great Britain great will make it greater still. You know, As in other words, there's, there's nothing impossible for us anymore. We're going to conquer all things. And it's that kind of uh, pride yeah. uh, and, and, and lack of dependence on God that uh, invites God's judgment, as it does here. Yeah. Now, uh, so what happens? God comes down and he, he scatters the people by changing their languages, right? So that they don't understand one another's speech anymore. And this is where you get the, the, the table of nations and you have the, the different people groups that separate from each other. Um, and it's at this point that God divides the nations, right? And it's shortly after. This is chapter 11 of Genesis. What happens in chapter 12 of Genesis? Can you think of somebody that maybe God begins to call? And, call and of Abraham. Call of Abraham. So in Genesis chapter 11, you have the scattering of the nations that were up to that point one people. And then in chapter 12, you have this calling of Abraham. And the calling of Abraham represents what? A choice of, of well, the beginning of uh, uh, God's special people. Yeah. God's specializing. And in particular, he's going to carry out his promises through this select group of people. Yeah, God takes this one nation that he brings about through one man, Abraham, and he's going to create this people, and he's going to create the, and he's going to give this people. Uh, uh, Paul says, "What is the advantage of being a Jew? Uh, very great indeed, because God has given the Jews the oracles of God. Mm -hmm. In other words, they they got God's word, 
right? Yeah. And that's the great advantage of being a Jew, that they have God's word. That's their great inheritance. Well, he takes these, this family, this nation, and he begins to speak his word to them, right? And, and to the exclusion of all the other nations. No other nation is it recorded that God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit began to speak to a people. Now, there were other kind of, um, there were other people around Jethro, uh, Moses' father-in-law. Uh, there's Melchizedek, who's the king and priest of Salem, uh, what will become later Jerusalem. That uh, We have some clues that uh, Job, for instance. We have some clues that uh, some other people know God, but none have had the oracles of God. None have had, in, in the nation of Israel then, what God does is he, he incubates his word right? He speaks his word to them, but it's kind of, he, he, he doesn't want them mixing. He wants them to remain a distinct people until what he is doing in them is accomplished. And what God does with this nation of it, what's the most important work that God does with this nation of Israel? He brings forth Christ. He brings us, it brings the Savior of the world. Right? Although the, the written word is big part of that yeah without the two go together they are the same the yeah word. well you have the written word or the spoken word originally and then the written word and then you have the word who is christ yeah, amen. the word personified and everything he, he is the exact expression of everything that god has to say and so um so it's at this point then that this incubation period of 2,000 years has been occurring. And then Christ comes. He uh, sacrifices himself for the sins of the world. He dies. He's buried. He rises again on the third day. He ascends into heaven. He sits at God's right hand. And then he sends forth his Holy Spirit on, on his people. Now, this would be a good time, I think, to go to the uh, epistle lesson from Acts. All right, this is uh, Acts chapter 2, beginning at verse 1 from the English Standard Version. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them, on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And as this sound, at this sound the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all the, those these who are speaking Galileans? And yet... And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own languages the mighty works of God. 
And they were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others mocking said, They are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you, and give ear to my words, for these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, even on my male and female servants. In those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy, and I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness, and the moon to blood, before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And this is the word of the Lord. And thanks be to God. You know, uh, what happens here is this lesson begins with, look at verse 3. This lesson begins with what? Divided tongues. Right? Now, what do we just read in the, in the Old Testament lesson? We read about God dividing the tongues. God confusing the languages. And now we see these divided tongues, all by the Spirit's entry, all these divided tongues come upon each one of them. And they go out and they begin to speak in known languages, by the way. Yeah, this the, is the, not... The, what, the observers pointed out that these are Galileans. They can't know all yeah. these languages. And yet there they were speaking in languages that they understood. Yeah, and this is not, uh, by the way, what you have with modern Pentecostals or Charismatics who are, uh, you know, pretty self-consciously babbling. Uh, they don't expect to be speak. They don't expect to be heard or understood. Well, this is kind of a much different case. This is these 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 men are speaking legitimate in a way legitimate languages. Legitimate languages that other people. This is a true miracle, and it's an evident miracle. I mean, there's evidence for it. The yeah, guy Paul the, later makes reference to who will understand if you're not speaking in a language yeah. that's, that's known. So, that, and that was in reference to the early church speaking in tongues. Yeah, yeah. Now, uh, the giving of the Spirit in this way, with all these different languages, um, of course, the giving of the Spirit to the church, what does that then teach us when the, when the Spirit is given this way to the church? What does it teach us about the nature of the church? It's unifying. Yeah. Uh, in, in, in this giving of the Spirit, God is uh, taking all these diverse people and he's pulling them together into one people once more. The nation more. of Christ. The nation of Christ that, that is not united by language, but is united by the proclamation of the gospel, which all languages can understand, which, which, which God wants to be broadcast in every language. And uh, you, know, you talk about uh, uni unity and diversity. Uh, the church is, is the institution God created that has this in spades. I mean, uh, the, the church is about We're diversity of, of origin and yet unity in truth, right? 
because uh, what what what, I'm going to talk about Peter here, what he says in in a second, but uh, but um, but you have unity and diversity in the church, right? And uh, 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 university, the church is really the first institution that says e pluribus unum, out of the many one, and it is. It is God's um, remedy for the division that happens, the sad division that happens at Babel because of man's pride. God scatters the nations. But in Christ, those who in humility receive Christ are being gathered together into one. So long before it was on U.S. currency, it was the spirit of Christ who says, out of the many, one, right? And so out of all these many people, uh, and Paul marvels at this. You know, the Jews in particular were were pretty, um, today we would say racist, Yeah. right? Uh, it, it, was, it was very exclusive. And the Jews would, uh, would re- regularly thank God that uh, a Jewish man would regularly thank God that he was not born a woman or a Gentile dog, right? Uh, it was quite common for the Jews to refer to all the other races, all the other races as dogs, as unclean animals, right? Peter had trouble with it too when he was... Oh, and and all, the, uh, all, the, all the apostles did. I would say probably the one dominant issue of the New Testament is is how the church begins to understand that, that that salvation is, although salvation is of the Jews, it's not just for the Jews. Yeah, it's, it's really why when Paul visited Jerusalem later, he was uh, practically torn apart by the Jews. Because yeah. when he reached the point in his proclamation that God sent him to the Gentiles, yeah. the people... The Jews basically rose up and wanted to wanted to stone him immediately. Yeah, yeah, and you know, there's a there's uh, this is a a genuine concern for people today. Uh, the issue of racism, uh, the ugly issue of racism, is uh, uh, is something that uh, you know for all that's going wrong with our culture uh, is something that is the sensitivity to race. Uh, maybe it's an oversensitivity in some cases politically. But the, but the, but the most people today understand that it's, that it's not right to hold yourself as better than somebody else because of their race. And the church has, has always had that standpoint. The church has been at the vanguard of that movement. Yeah. Because it's the church that there says... There would have been no civil war if the church hadn't educated abolitionists. Yeah. And, and, and of course, sadly, not all Christians have lived up to this, uh, you know, to this standard. Well, uh, sometimes yeah, there we are a lot of standards that we don't live up sometimes to. Sometimes we Christians, that's right, uh, don't always live up to, the, to, the, to God's word. And, and, and when we don't, what a shame it is, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. And, and, um, and America and America's... Um, uh, sad history of race and sad history of race relations, uh, even after the Civil War, 
uh, even into the last century, well into the last century. Well, even even Black Lives Matter, even current things. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, mean it's ra- racism is not uh, particular to one race. You have bigots in all races. Well, and that's true. That's true. And and uh, and you know, but there's still this kind of this lingering concern because of America's history. There's still this lingering concern about race and race relations that is with us even today. And and uh, and that was brought about in in part by the actions of Christians, um, and so really what this what this text represents is um, uh, beside the, the there's of course that is the core theological issue. I'm going to get to that in a second, but it does represent the church's desire and the church's origin in healing these race relations and understanding all races as being part of the kingdom of God. And uh, uh, here's the last thing I'm going to say about this text is it's too short because although Peter begins to preach, it doesn't contain Peter's entire sermon. Now, it does give you a clue right at the end of the lesson when Peter said, quoting from Joel, when Peter says, everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. And then Peter immediately goes on to explain what that means. He says, um, men of Israel and, and uh, men from different parts of the, of the world, he says, uh, uh, Jesus of Nazareth. He begins to preach about Jesus, a man who goes about and does good and heals many and was uh, taken at the instigation of the Jewish leaders and was rejected by the Jewish people and nailed to a cross and rose again on the third day. And, um, and Peter says uh, that really what this means, and when Peter gets to the end of this message, the place he ends up is very important. He says, Know therefore that God has made this man Jesus, whom you crucified, God has made him both Lord and Christ. In other words, the gospel is that Jesus is the Lord and the Christ, right? Mm-hmm. And that, uh, and 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 what that means, by the way, and this is this is also very important uh, because the the word Christ in Greek it means anointed one. It is the uh, same word in Hebrew as Messiah, or Mashiach. Uh, we say Messiah today. Um, but it is the word that was used for kings and priests to uh, signify their special duty before God and their, um, their status as God's representative to the people. And uh, I just want to remind people of this story there is a point at which um, God rejects King Saul and he chooses David anoints David to be the next king of Israel and there is a, a, a period of time between the those between the anointing of David and the ascension of David to be king there's a period of time in which David is is kind of on the run. Uh, David is the enemy yeah, he of Saul. Refers to Saul as God's anointed, and he calls. and And David has two chances to kill Saul when Saul is unguarded, and and David uh, 
prevents it from happening in one case and, and, and doesn't do it in another case. But in the second case, he says to the one who wants to kill Saul and has the opportunity to kill Saul, he says, uh, how should we stretch out our hand against God's anointed? Right? In other words, this would be a very great, let God take care of it, let God deal with it, but this would be a very great sin if we were to kill God's anointed. Right? And, um, and so, when Peter preaches this message, this is an understanding of God's anointed that these Jews have built into them. And so what Peter is really accusing them of doing is what? They stretched out their hand against God's anointed. They stretched out their hand against God's anointed. And you can see when, they, when, when Peter proclaims God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified, uh, you can see their reaction in what they do next. They, they say, um, uh, brothers, brothers they, tear their, they tear their garments. They realize they've, they've committed this great sin. They tear their garments, and brothers, what shall we do? And what is the answer? What, what answer does Peter give to Repent them? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For this promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Now that's where the lesson should have ended there, right? But uh, yeah, I know, <laughs> the time constraints, right? Uh, well, at any rate, look, what does this all mean? What is the fact that Jesus is the Christ and that he has ascended into heaven, that he sits at God's right hand, and uh, that he's calling all nations uh, to receive the Holy Spirit. This is for you and for, uh, for uh, uh, your children and for as many as are far off, as many as the Lord our God shall call. What does it mean? It means the forgiveness of sins. It means that God is declaring repentance to the world. That is, be sorry for your sins, turn from your sins, have faith in Christ. That's repentance. And you have the forgiveness of sins that Christ has earned when he died and rose again for you. You know, this kingdom of Jesus, which is, Jesus sits at God's right hand. He exercises all authority. He is God's anointed. He is the Christ, right? And what does this, what does his kingdom mean? It is a kingdom of mercy. It is a kingdom of God's kindness. God is taking this goodness and this blessing that Christ has earned for us by his life, death, and resurrection, and he is distributing it to everybody who believes. Through the church. Through the church. God, God wants you to know that his mercy is for you, that his kindness is for you, and the life that Jesus won for us is for you. Everyone who believes and is baptized will be saved. Amen? Amen. All right. Very good. Well, let's, uh, we're going to explore this a little bit more in the gospel lesson. We have uh, Jesus' own explanation of who the Holy Spirit is and what God intends to do through the Holy Spirit in the gospel lesson. So would you, would you read that for us, Lee? Yeah, uh, this is John 14, beginning at verse 23. Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. 
These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring you to remembrance of all that I have said to you. Peace I, live, I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away, and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced, because I am going to the Father, and the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that when the world, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. Hmm. And this is the word of the Lord. And thanks be to God. You know, uh, of course, when when Jesus teaches us, He opens up. <laughs> you know, the mysteries of God are opened up in the mouth of Christ. Um, when He tells, for instance, when Jesus tells the parables. And, uh, and after he tells the parables to the multitude, the disciples come and they ask him what the parable means and, and then he explains to them what the parable means. You know, uh, it, it's kind of the same with the, this giving of the Holy Spirit. We really, we don't know what it means outside of Christ and outside of his explanation of, of what it means. And, and so we want to listen carefully to what Jesus tells us here because everything we've read before with the division of the tongues in the Old Testament, with the uh, proclamation through all the tongues in the book of Acts, and here, what does it all mean? Uh, well, what's the first thing Jesus says? He talks about his word. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father who sent me. Now, this is important, because uh, the Holy Spirit is given for the purpose of bringing the word of Christ to us, right? And so, what is central to the Holy Spirit? The word, the word. The word of Christ. Both the word about Christ and, and, and the word that Jesus speaks. Yeah, not, not the word of how to make your life better. Yeah. Or, or you know, be true to your spouse. Right. That, not that word. It's the word of Christ. Yeah, it's the word that, uh, about his life, death, and resurrection, about the hope that we have, about what God has, has in store for us because of Jesus. And uh, yeah, so th it's very important to understand this. Now, Jesus says, whoever loves me will keep my word. Now, um, what does it mean to keep the word of Christ? And the word that John uses here is a Greek word that is, um, the, the, the Greek word is tereo, right? Now, what is tereo? Tereo is a word that means to hold, uh, to guard, to watch over, um, and, and in that sense, keep, right? Uh, it's understood, uh, it was understood in the old English language when, uh, some, when the king would throw somebody in jail, he would tell his guards to put them where? In the keep. Put them in the keep, right? 
And and that's what that word means. You know, even our old English understood uh, the, the significance of this word. To tereo something is to guard it. It is the same word that um, the Romans would commission the soldiers with. A, a Roman officer would tell soldiers to keep a prisoner. And what were they to do with him? They were to watch over him. They weren't to let him go, right? And we know from Roman history that if uh, a Roman soldier let his keep go, if he let his prisoner go, what would happen to that Roman soldier? Uh, he'd be executed. Yeah. Uh, we see it, We see kind of a, a, an example of it in, uh, in the book of Philippians when Paul and Silas are in jail and an earthquake happens and uh, the bars of the jail are, are broken open and the Roman guard immediately the 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 jailkeeper um and we still call by the way jailkeeper uh takes his sword and he's about to to do harm to himself why because he knows that what what it means for him to have lost his prisoners is death horrible death in some cases and this is the way for him to escape shame uh, and this is the way maybe to, for him to preserve his family's fortune or whatever it is um, by just go ahead, just take care of it yourself. You lost the prisoners. There's there's no excuse for this. And and so, you know, Jesus doesn't use this word um, uh, kind of neglectfully. He understands the full impact of tereo. It, he, whoever loves me will tereo my word. In other words, the gospel, the good news about what Jesus has done for us in his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, and his coming again, you know, uh, what we might refer to as the, the second article of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. Um, you know, that that text there embodies the gospel. What That is the gospel. And, and what Jesus is telling us here is, keep it. Right? And no wonder the church has made a practice of every Sunday rehearsing those facts. Because... My friends, this is what we have to keep, right? And this is what we have to keep even when the world says we are scientifically advanced these days. Uh, we don't need all this mumbo-jumbo anymore, all this superstition, all these, uh, you know, these kind of these mysteries of the past, um, these um, mysteries of men who didn't understand the concept of germs, for instance, you know, uh, they didn't understand that the sun was the center of our uh, of our solar. You know, we have a solar system. The Earth revolves around the sun. You know, and um, and now we're so much more advanced that we've gone beyond this, and we and we don't need to keep this anymore. And matter of fact, um, it would be better for society. It would be better for uh, 
people's mental health in general if we didn't try to keep all these old superstitions of the past, right? Yeah, and for filler, then we get uh, seven ways to uh, improve your yeah. relationships. Right, right, right. Or or whatever, you know, uh, promises the world is making uh, through scientific advancement or whatever. Uh, you know, uh, it, 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 it's not the same. And so what Jesus says is, is, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him and will come and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father who sent me. In other words, this is God's word. My word is God's word. And, uh, and so to reject my word is to reject is to reject God. Reject Christ. Right. Yeah. And, uh, and so uh, terrible consequences for that. Jesus says, keep my word. Well, this and happens then he, too, I think, in our own lives. Uh-huh. If, if we feel like we need something, like we know all about Christ, Yeah. and we want to learn something new from the Bible, Yeah. and we start looking for things, Right. Good intentions. Right. We have good intentions. We're trying to improve ourselves by, by learning from God's word. Yeah. But we lose attention to Christ. If Christ isn't in every page that we read, Yeah. if instead we're looking to satisfy some itching in our own curiosity, Yeah. then, then we've not kept God's word. Or, 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 or using God's word as a way to improve our lives and improve our lot in life. You know, That's not um, what the Bible's for. Joel Osteen. Uh, preaching a gospel of prosperity, you know. Yeah, well, it's uh, yeah. You don't have to go to that. I yeah, mean, I think we Christians do it too. Yeah, and what happens is is that Satan tells us, "Oh, you've heard all that before." Yeah, you know, you and and you become sort of bored with hearing yeah. about Christ. Yeah, when that sets in, repent. Yeah, you know, look I at what's a, really happening. You're you're God's. You're losing God's word. Yeah, I have a cousin who told me. Um, I, I, I got bored with church because I heard the same message every week. Well, it wasn't the same message, probably, but it was the same gospel being preached. Yeah, if you get if you and, get bored of hearing the gospel, you're lost and damned. Yeah, it's it. it yeah, repent. <laughs> yeah, repent. Well, uh, we know. Uh, so Jesus is really. He talks first about his word, and then he says, These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. In other words, the Holy Spirit comes to bring us Christ's word. And if we think about this in the context of the uh, the Acts lesson of these apostles being anointed by the Holy Spirit, going out and speaking God's word. Peter, standing in the midst of, of the apostles and proclaiming the gospel. And if we think about it in that context, where would we find God? Where would we find this? Where were we going to find the Holy Spirit? We are going to find the Holy Spirit where the apostolic word is, uh, about Jesus and his life, death, and resurrection is preached. That's where we'll find God's word, and nowhere else. Amen. And um, and folks, that's where we kind of really what we're all about. Uh, we want to preach the word. Uh, you know, uh, the old time religion that has been spoken by by the apostles that 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 we should 
keep the word about Jesus. And, um, and uh, that's what we offer at Gethsemane Lutheran Church. We offer the gospel. And it, it might be boring. Uh, who knows, you know, what, what people think of it, regardless of what people think of it. It is that word that saves you. And it's the preaching of the cross that saves you. It's the preaching of the cross you need because you need Christ. And you need his gifts. And you need his forgiveness found in him. Now, Gethsemane Lutheran Church, our services are Saturday uh, afternoon at 4.30 p.m. And Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Gethsemane is uh, located at 219 East Church Street. We're right beside, uh, we're right between the old Y, uh, YMCA, and and Rocky's Bicycle Shop, where the where the yellow church, yellow brick church with a green, big green dome on top. And so, folks, if you don't have a church home, we invite you to come and worship with us. We thank you for joining us today. This will be rebroadcast uh, Sunday morning at 9.15 and Wednesday evening at 7 p.m. And so we invite you to join us again next week for another edition of the Wittenberg Door. Quinn, like uh, David Letterman. Uh-huh. <laughs> you okay? Okay. Yeah. Uh,